0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Good morning, my name is Ophelia Kinney. she, her, and hers are my pronouns, and I am the worship coordinator here at Hope Gateway. Today, we are continuing our Lenten series titled Disabling Lent. It's an exploration of disability justice, anti-ableism, and God's image through the whole and holy lives of disabled people. Last week, Phil preached about how love transforms us to desire wholeness and relationship with each other even when, and perhaps especially when, we inevitably change with age, growth, and disability. The week before that, Mitzi brought us a message about how none of us are exempt from God's grace, just as we are. Everybody, every person deserves to approach God without institutions gatekeeping the way. Courtney spoke about how easy it can be to reduce people into stories of heroism or villainism, I guess, if that's a word, but how in actuality, people with disabilities and in fact, all people live full and complicated lives, and we are not to reduce each other into stories. And Sarah kicked off this series by talking about how our lives are holy and beautiful regardless of our productivity, thanks be to God, and that disabled people are not holy and beautiful because of some achieved level of utility to the world, but simply because they exist. This week, we continue to examine Jesus' life with a focus on disability inclusion, and in particular. I want to contrast two events recorded in the gospel that's commonly attributed to John. Neither of these stories are inherently about disabled people, but I think there's still an important message about disability here. So in John 4, Jesus asks a lone Samaritan woman at a well for some water, and she draws some up for him, though it was pretty taboo in their setting, for a Jewish man to ask a Samaritan woman for water. She was seen socially as beneath him in the hierarchy of their time. And Jesus then tells the woman that he knows who she is and the circumstances of exclusion that brought her to the well at that hot and lonely time of day. This woman had been ostracized by her community and treated poorly by the long list of men to whom she'd been married. In a patriarchal society, she had a lot of limits to her choices, and a lot had been chosen for her. But Jesus knew all of this. He knew all the pain that she bore, knew that she was taking a risk to trust a strange man like him and a Jewish man at that who was seen as um, above her. And John 4, uh, verses 28 and 29, goes on to say this. The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, He told me everything I've ever done. Jesus and his followers then leave Samaritan and head back toward Cana, where he performed his first public miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding. And Jesus is met there by a royal official who begs him to come and heal his son who is sick. So John 4 uh, verses 39 through 48 goes on to say this. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked, Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the savior of the world. After two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that prophets have no honor in their own country. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen all the things he had done in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also been at the festival, He returned to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. In Capernaum, there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus was coming from Judea to Galilee, he went out to meet him and asked Jesus if he would come and heal his son, for his son was about to die. Jesus said to him, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you won't believe. The message translation puts that last bit this way. Jesus put him off. Unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you refuse to believe, but the court official wouldn't be put off. Come down. It's life or death for my son. Jesus simply replied, go home. Your son lives. The gospel of John goes on to say that this man and his household then came to believe in the way of Jesus. So... One after the other, we get two stories of how people came to follow in the way of Jesus. In the first, a woman with little social status tells her community, this man knows who I am, and many came to believe. In the second, Jesus healed a child at his father's request, and that child's family came to believe. And between the two stories, Jesus seems to be saying this, Being cured is not a requirement for faith. Jesus did not fix the woman's isolation. He did not punish those who excluded or mistreated her. But he did understand her. He really understood her. And in a world, hers and ours alike, where real understanding is so, so rare, what a faith-affirming gift that can be. Scripture has a lot of stories of cures and healings. In some of these stories, Jesus heals people from illness. In other stories, Jesus asks a person with a disability if they want things in their life to be different. And in many cases, they say yes, and Jesus responds accordingly to their wishes. Again, neither of these two stories we consider today are inherently about disabled people in the Bible. But I think when considered together, they give us a lot to think about. Is God a dispenser of healing? What if God doesn't heal, like in the case of Lazarus, for whom Jesus wept? Why did God respond with such exasperation? Sorry, why did Jesus respond with such exasperation when the royal official asked him to heal his son? This is not the only story of healing where Jesus issues a warning about our connection between healing and faith. As he does elsewhere, Jesus says this time, unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you refuse to believe. Maybe he's saying belief in God is less like belief in a magician and more like belief in a friend or a teacher or a partner. The author and creative writing instructor Heather Lanier, who wrote for Unbound's Disability Theology Lenten Devotional, explains that Jesus even became secretive about his healing ministry. Lanier says, perhaps Jesus saw that the signs were misdirecting people, God's glory as looking to them like human glory, like bulging biceps flexed on top of an award podium, like ableism. We cannot expect God's work and God's glory to look like human work and human glory. This is why I think Jesus is often insisting people keep mum that he healed. Healing is not the point. Don't get distracted. So there is a temptation here to be binary about all of this, for the message to be warped. And what I don't want to say is that healing didn't matter to Jesus or that his kingdom was only a spiritual realm or that our bodies are less important to God than our spirits. I don't think any of that is true. I think the message that's kind of sown between these two stories is really a two-part question. Part one, how would it transform your life or your faith to know that God knows you, knows everything about you, knows the ways in which you don't conform, along with your deepest regrets and pain and the causes of your isolation, and what if God loves you in the midst of all of that? In part two, how would it transform the world if the world knew that such a love was alive in you? I want to bring in some related wisdom from Nancy Island, um, a groundbreaking Christian disability theologian. She says, Jesus Christ, the disabled God, is not a suffering servant or a conquering Lord. Rather, this contextualization of Jesus enables that the Christ understood as the stranger, the outcast, the hungry, the weak, the poor, and I would add person with disabilities, makes the traditional male Christ less significant. Jesus Christ, the disabled God, is not a romanticized notion of overcomer God. Instead, here's God as survivor. The image of survivor here evoked is that of a simple, unself-pitying, honest body for whom the limits of power are palpable, but not tragic. The disabled God embodies the ability to see clearly the complexity and the mixed blessing of life and bodies without living in despair. This revelation is of a God for us who celebrates joy and experiences pain, not separately in time or space, but simultaneously. So I am a neurodivergent person, like almost an entire 3% of the world, I live with ADHD. ADHD is a highly hereditary disorder, and though I was born with it, and it has had an impact on every facet of my life, I was actually only diagnosed as an adult when the coping mechanisms that I developed over a lifetime no longer worked to mask the difficulties that I had. For much of my life, I focused on how I would fix myself. The questions at the front of my mind were always, what is wrong with my brain and how do I conform? But I'm learning from neurodivergent friends and experts, from disability advocates, and from trial and error in my own life to spend less time attempting to fix myself in order to earn love and more time attempting to solve the problems that I encounter in a world that's just not built for neurodivergent people. And I am learning, or trying to learn, that God is not so preoccupied with fixing us. What we have instead is the presence of God, the wisdom of those who came before us, and the company of those who pave the way today. What we have is God's presence, God's being with. A God who, as Nancy Island put it, celebrates joy and experiences pain, not separately in time or space, but simultaneously. Lent is a season of being with, not of fixing. We keep retelling this story every year, not because we think it's going to end differently somehow, but because we know how it ends every time. Jesus is born and Jesus lives. Jesus will go to the garden and he will ask for things to be different. Jesus will pray and be in the presence of God, and things will not change for him. Jesus will undergo the trial ahead of him. But that is a story for another time. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway, and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.